Well, hey, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. For those of you online, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, If you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. On behalf of our staff, our leaders, all who call this home, thank you so much for choosing to be here on your Sunday morning. We really do appreciate it, as well as for those online. Um, Last week, we celebrated Easter Resurrection Sunday. Can we just give another shout out for Jesus? Yeah. Here's the thing, uh, Easter is kind of our Super Bowl, right? Like if there's no Easter, there's no point of doing this. And, and uh, I'm just going to share, and I wasn't going to share it, and I ended up sharing it last service as well. Um, there's a common thing that happens in churches, particularly for those in ministry, pastors. And a lot of it comes down to is, I mean, you put, we put so much energy into the week of Easter as well as Christmas Eve. And it's pretty common that the day after you kind of get into a letdown. And it's... It's really, it's a combination of everything. And I just got to be honest, last week was kind of a rough week. And, and uh, if I'm just being truthful with you, I was kind of one of those desert seasons where even though it was just a week, everything just kind of felt kind of off. Anybody ever have one of those weeks? That was last week for me. And the way I like to describe it is like pushing peanut butter through a straw. Like everything just felt tough. Everything felt forced like it was work. And even as I was prepping for this message and I was talking with um, a couple of my friends, it just wasn't coming together the way I wanted and I was struggling and trying to figure out, okay, God, what are you doing? And, and a lot of it came down to this is that for me, sometimes um, we have those moments where it's in the stress, it's in the struggle, but that's actually where God wants to show up the most. And I found myself this week kind of going, okay, Lord, man, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling the week. I'm not feeling anything at the moment. And here's the beauty of the gospel. If the only reason why we're here is because Jason gives a great message, we're wasting our time. We're here because Jesus is powerful and his name is famous. Amen. And what we find is that the Bible tells us it's in our weakness that his strength is most made perfect and known perfect. And my desire this morning is that my week would not get in the way of what Jesus has for us this morning. So would you do me a favor? Would you just pray with me? And let's just uh, give this to the Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, I thank you for Resurrection Sunday. I thank you that it's not about my words. It's not about what I bring, but rather what you want to do as the word is faithfully preached. So I pray that my words would be yours, that, that the word would come alive in us. And that God, in my weakness, that your perfection would be made known and that Holy Spirit, that you would awaken alive to us, your spirit would come alive in us as a church and that the word would come alive in us and we would become the church that you've called us to be. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Um, Last week, we, we celebrated on Easter and we talked about we shared story, and I know most people are picturing a story about Easter on Easter morning, and if you were here, we actually talked about Peter. And if you remember the story of Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' primary disciples, one of his best friends, his inner circle, his top three guys, and Peter was present for almost every major miracle that we see. In fact, Peter was often involved in some of those miracles directly. And 
Peter didn't understand that Jesus needed to die. And in Peter's mind, the idea of a crucified Savior coming back to life was just not in his, it wasn't in his frame of mind. It wasn't the way he saw things playing out. And Jesus tells him, he says, Peter, you know, I get it. You don't think I have to die. I need to die. But as loyal as you think you are, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter denies Jesus three times on the night when Jesus is betrayed, in which Jesus has taken him that night. He's ultimately crucified. And if you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about that the resurrection, that yes, it's through the cross that we experience forgiveness, but it's the empty tomb that we see restoration. And that Jesus meets Peter. He meets Peter in his shame and guilt and all the things he was feeling. And we see this scene where Peter's out fishing with the disciples and and. Jesus comes on the bank and tells them to cast their net on the other side. And when they realize that, John, the, John, the, the apostle John, realizes it's Jesus. And he says, that's Jesus. And Peter goes full on Forrest Gump and jumps into the water and swims to meet with Jesus. And they end up talking. And then after they have breakfast, Jesus says, Peter, let's go for a walk. And if you remember, Peter denies Jesus three times. And three times Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And each time... Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And by the third time that Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me? It says this, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked. But what was Peter hurt by? I think Peter was hurt by because every time Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? What Peter heard was, I don't know him. The words he spoke when he denied Jesus three times the night of his execution. And then we have this beautiful scene where Jesus tells Peter, he reinstates him, he restores him, that that is in fact Peter's resurrection moment. Peter may have believed that God was done with him, but here's the thing about the gospel is that the gospel is bigger than our sin and shame. That's the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus' death and resurrection is bigger than our sin. Amen? And Peter needed that resurrection story. Now here's the cool part. Uh, If you're familiar with the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Luke was written by a guy named Luke who was not actually an apostle of Jesus. He was a doctor commissioned by a guy named Theophilus to write about the story of Jesus. Well, the book of Acts, which is right after the Gospels, is also written by Luke. And so most scholars believe that Luke and Acts are meant to be read next to each other. Now, our Bibles don't have them that way. But if Luke is the story of Jesus' ministry, the book of Acts is the story of Jesus' church being birthed into the world. And for the first several chapters, like 14 chapters, guess who the main person is used by the Holy Spirit to birth the church? Peter. No one, including Peter, would have ever guessed that the the movement, the rise of the church, the church that we have today, the reason why we're here right now today is because God worked through Peter to help birth the church in the book of Acts. And as they look at it, what you see is Peter doing all these miraculous things through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not doing them in his own strength or power. He's doing them through the Holy Spirit. And at one point in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter delivering the first gospel message. Now, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to picture you were raised in a Jewish culture. Now, I don't know if you were raised Jewish. I don't think anybody here was. If you were, awesome. But imagine you're raised Jewish, okay? And your entire life you went to synagogue. And synagogue is kind of like church. You would have, you know, they would come and read the word. They'd have prayer. And synagogue was the center of Jewish life. And now, all of a sudden, this guy Jesus comes on the scene. He 
basically commissions Peter to start this new movement. And instead of the synagogue being the center of everything, now it's this thing called the church. Everything that you knew before, the things that you loved, the things that you found value in, shifted. The place where you met shifted. And now the church is born. Now, open your eyes for a moment. More than a moment, otherwise you might fall asleep. <laughs> See, what we picture is it's easy for us to go, oh, that must have been so cool. Let me ask you, how many of you like change? First service, one guy's like, I like change. And I'm like, guess what? So do I, until I don't. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I am a person who enjoys change. There's what's part of my personality. I think change is great until it's a change I don't want to make. And that's part of the problem. Now, we started off this series, Awaken, what got you here won't get you there. We started with this problem of change that all of us, all human beings struggle with the idea of change, even those who like it. Because change makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Life is filled with change. If you don't believe me, one of the first ways to tell that life is full of change is have a baby. Like, I remember the minute we had my daughter, Indy, everything changed. And I'm not just talking about diapers and wow, there were some doozies, right? Here's the thing. Everything changes when you have a baby. You have to change if you want to be a parent. In fact, if you don't change when you're a parent, you become a neglectful parent. Change is part of life. It's part of the sign that shows that you are growing as human beings. Now, here's the thing. We're talking about the church, but when the church was birthed, the church was not an organization. It was an organism. It's not about an institution. The church is made up of who? People. People are the lifeblood of the church. People are at the heart of the church. And that means if a church isn't changing, it's because the people aren't changing. If the church isn't growing, it's because the people aren't, say it with me, growing. And so we have to look at this. And here's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be alive? Because what the picture we see of the first century church is this vibrant church that is moving and active and God is doing things because it's happening through the people, because the people are alive. And there's a difference between just living and being alive. There's a difference between being alive and just existing. How many of you know people that go through life just existing? How many of you in this room feel like you're going through life right now just kind of existing? The gospel moved through the church and we saw this church coming alive in Jesus. Now, here's the problem that we have within our churches that often we don't think of the church as a living organism. We think of it as an organization. But here's the problem with organizations. I like McDonald's, sometimes too much. And I like the McRib sandwich. Anybody else here a McRib fan? Like when the McRib shows up, thank you, Brett. I appreciate your honesty. Everybody else is like, I would never eat a McRib. I love it. When McRib comes into town, I'm going to McDonald's. Now, here's what happens. See, I like the organization of the McDonald's. And when McDonald's does something I like, I'll show up. But if they're not doing something I like, guess what? I don't show up. A lot of people, a lot of Christians view the church more like McDonald's than they do a living body of Christ. They'll show up when it gives them something they want, something they like. Instead of actually showing up because it's a community, because it's an organism. See, organisms are alive. Organizations are just sterile things that provide something. 
And what we're looking at and what we want to see is we want to see a movement awaken within the church where the church becomes alive in Christ, not just an institution doing religious things. And so what does that look like? Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4.16. Check this out. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in, what's the word there? Love. As each part does it, say the next word. Did you know that love and work go hand in hand? To love something requires work, doesn't it? Work and love are something that, here it's saying that the body of Christ is truly, God designed the church to function like a healthy body. And the way it grows is not through programs. It's not through doing new things. It grows through love. It grows through loving each other, loving God, even loving yourself. And that is work. It's hard. And it's that hard work that actually leads to a healthy, thriving church that is alive, not just an institution, but an organism that is moving and going where God wants. We've been talking about this idea of being awake because we want to see our church become alive in Jesus, which means you are alive in Jesus, not Zion. When the authors of the New Testament were talking about the church being the body of Christ, they weren't picturing denominations or headquarters or charters or little mini empires. That was nowhere in their mind. Did you know nowhere in their mind were they thinking, we should have a Zion Lutheran church? That didn't exist. There was no river city. There was no harvest. There was no Galilee, no open Bible. What they were was communities who came together of men and women Adults and children who loved God and loved each other and were committed to each other. This is actually the picture. They were picturing a living, breathing, vibrant community of imperfect people committed to each other and all above all else committed to Jesus. Worshiping, loving, and serving their perfect king. This is what was called the church. They weren't picturing a building where people come together with a logo over our name that defines us or a denomination that separates us. What united people was not a denomination. It was the cross of Christ. And that led to this movement in the book of Acts where you see the church growing by thousands because a community was alive. Because the church was alive. And so I began thinking about this, and I'm like, okay, God, I know that you're calling us to do this, and, and so what does this look like? And so this morning, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be alive, not only as a church, because the church is not an institution, it's the people, and who are the people? You and me. What does it look for, look for us to be alive in Christ? How do we know when something is alive? And so would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? And I'm going to ask, would you join me as we read these together Ephesians 2, 3 through 7, would you join me in reading these? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And now we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2. Check this out. Here we go. All together. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord, praise be to God, you may be seated. These two verses are talking about a church alive. A living church, which means a living people. When I was in my early 20s, I had approached a guy named Gino Pascarello. He was the pastor at a church in Vineyard, Spring Valley. And I asked him to disciple me. And so about two to three times a week, I would go to his office or his home or out to lunch. And we would spend hours together. And he would teach me. I mean, when I asked him, he wasn't sure if I was called to ministry. He was there to figure it out with me. And he taught me how to read the Bible. He taught me good exegesis, which is how to make sure I'm actually interpreting Scripture correctly, how to apply it. He taught me what it meant to be a pastor. And I remember looking on his bookshelf. And on his bookshelves were these books. Now, you can tell a lot about a pastor by the books they have. And on his shelf, there were a couple books that really stood out to me. And one of them said this, it was actually a, a, like a, a three ring binder, really thick binder. And it was how to break 200. And the next one was how to break 500. And the goal, because this was in the nineties and the early two thousands, the goal of churches was church growth. These books were all about how to get your church past the 150 mark into the 300 mark, the 500 mark, the 1,000 mark, because how we define success as a church is how big the church is. And now here's the problem. Things can grow big and still be unhealthy, right? Cancer is alive. It's a living thing. And yet is cancer good? No. Now, I'm thankful that Gino never really bought into the church growth movement. And part of maybe it's because we never seem to be able to break 130 people. But I remember looking at that and, and I had a friend of mine who was a worship leader at a, what was called the seeker-sensitive church. How many of you guys remember the seeker-sensitive movement? You, if you're not church, you're like, what the heck is that? Basically, the goal of the seeker-sensitive church was this. It's more about getting butts in seat. A successful church is defined by the number of people who show up. So you make church as palatable, as easy as possible, and as short as possible, and you ask very little of anybody. And this church, and I don't remember the name of it, literally in a couple months it went to 500 people and then 1,000 people. And so she said, hey, you want to come and lead worship for me? And I'm like, great, now I'm coming for the vineyard where we would sometimes do 40 minutes of worship. And people here are like, I'm not going to the vineyard, Jason. That's too much singing, right? And we would do 40 minutes of worship and teaching sometimes would be 45 minutes. And, and it was the thing. And I go there and she goes, okay, now here's the deal. This is how our church works. The whole service lasts anywhere from 25 to 35 minutes. I'm like, you mean for singing, right? <laughs> no, whole service was 25 to 35 minutes. They would do two to three songs, have a five to 10 minute message. There was no offering. You would walk out, put your envelope in the door if you wanted that. And then that was it. People were coming from all over. Why? Because people want to check off a religious box that said, hey, I did my church thing. Check. And yes, they got big. Guess what? In a couple years, that church ceased to exist. 
Now, I want to be careful. I do not want to equate church health and church growth with the, lim- the length of a service. Because if they had been doing discipleship, let's say they came together for that little time, but then they went and had small groups and were discipling people, but they weren't doing any of that. All they were concerned about was getting a big church so they could check off a box and say, we had 500, 800, 1,000 people who showed up. That was their goal. There was no discipleship. There was nothing to help people grow. And eventually, it went from being a big church to a no church. Now, the opposite of that is we have to be careful as well. We can't assume that just because church is long that it's a healthy church either, right? The problem for them was that they cared more about butts and seats than hearts being transformed for Jesus. So what does that mean for us? The goal of being awakened in faith is not about the length of a service It's about transformed lives, lives that are leaning and directing towards Christ because ultimately what matters to Jesus is not the size of the church, but the health of the church. Now, here's the great thing. Healthy things grow, don't they? When I was a part of small churches and I was pastor to small churches, it's usually pastors at small churches who say, numbers don't matter. Yes, they do. When you understand that healthy things grow, but numbers aren't everything. There are churches that have 20, 30 people, faithful people who love Jesus, who are having a huge impact for the kingdom of God, and God's just choosing not to help let that church grow. There are churches that have thousands, tens of thousands, 150,000 that may not be the healthiest church in the world. Because what God cares most about is the health of the church. And guess what that means? The health of the church means the people are healthy, not the institution. Because when the people are healthy, when the people are growing in a healthy way, guess what becomes church becomes healthy in the process? The church as an organization. You and I are the church. Jesus cares about our health as a church. Now, there's a word for this, and, and I'll be honest, Gino never talked to me about this because it just wasn't in the frame. It wasn't in view at this time. What we talk about, how we make sure that a church is healthy is through spiritual formation. You are always being formed by something. Something is always forming you. Or another way of looking at it, something is always transforming you. You're always conforming to something or you're always being deformed by something. Transformed, conformed, or deformed. Those three things are always happening. And how we grow as a church, how we become the church that God wants us to be, is we must become awakened to what it means to be alive as a church. A church that is being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus because we want to follow Jesus. Amen? But that's work. And it starts with how we love God, how we love each other, how we love those outside of our church, and how we love ourselves. God wants to do that work of spiritual formation. Now, as we're looking at this, we have to be reminded that this process is called discipleship. And you've probably heard that word. I got hired on originally as the discipleship pastor. Now, Jennifer Colby is our adult ministries director and she oversees discipleship. But discipleship is not a program. Did you know Jesus didn't have a program? When he came down, he didn't go, hey guys, I want you to come and follow me. I have a six-week plan and we got some shapes we're going to do. He didn't do... Those of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm poking fun at myself there. He didn't do any of that. He sat and did life with them and taught them what it meant to live and be in the kingdom and how to be in community. And that doesn't mean programs are bad. No, we need programs. 
But programs aren't what really grow the church. Programs aren't what really make a church healthy. Programs are tools. Events are tools, but they are not the object. When the object of our church becomes being having a program or having an event or being entertained, we're no longer focusing on Jesus. We're focusing on a product. And that's not what God has called us to. And so I, I'm looking at this and I'm, I want to go back to that church because here's the thing. When I went to that church, the one where they had five, eight hundred, a thousand people over, it seemed like overnight, man, I was actually really impressed and intrigued because here's the lie that a lot of pastors believe. My identity is wrapped up in the size of my church. And I still struggle with that. When we have a Sunday with low attendance, you know what the first lie that goes through my mind is? I wonder what I did wrong. And when things are really big and things are good and we have a full house, you know what goes through my mind? I wonder what I could have done better. Instead of thinking, God, thank you for the work that you're doing. Help me to be faithful. It's a struggle. And it's not just pastors. It's leaders in the church. This is why I think so many people are so quick to bounce from one church to another one because they're always looking for the next bigger thing instead of staying put where God has them so they can grow in the community. It breaks my heart when I see people like, you know what, there's so many cool things happening at the park. Let's go to Zion at the park when they're already planted at a church. And there's a time and a place to, to move from a church. I get that. But when people are leaving because they're just looking for the next thing, that's not healthy. And God is calling us to health. Listen to what, I want to repeat again what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, he was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to God. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now check this out. If you were raised Catholic, you all know what a priest is. That's, I mean, now, this is also how I know when someone's raised Catholic, because when they call me Father Jason, I'm like, listen, I'm only daddy to two people, and you ain't one of them. <laughs> like, that's always weird. Thank you, Father. I'm like, oh. In Jesus, we are all made priests in the kingdom of God. Not just the guy with the MDiv who went to school, not the paid professional, not the person who's been called to a position when it says you, the word there actually is y'all. Everybody say y'all. Good southern word, right? <laughs> Sean's like, am I home? <sighs> I don't even think he's in the room. He didn't appreciate that joke. <laughs> y'all are being built into a living spiritual house, a royal priesthood. And what priests did is they served God and they served the people and here's what it means. So in theological terms, it's called the priesthood of all believers. It means you don't have to have a degree or to be commissioned to do the work of the kingdom. The church was not alive and growing because Peter was the one. It's because Jesus was the one. Peter was just the tool that Jesus was using. The church grew because the people, which is you and me, were alive in their faith and living out the kingdom of God. And God added to their numbers thousands upon thousands. If we want to see our church grow, it starts first with us growing. Amen? And then God, yes, healthy things grow. 
but it starts with us being formed. And when we look at the picture of the first century church, it was a messed up church. Like they did, they were really messed up and God still used them because it's not about their perfection. It's about Jesus's perfection. God used their imperfection to do incredible things in the world. I look out in the world around us today, God is still doing incredible things through imperfect people and imperfect churches. Amen? Now, I've said this before and I want to say it again. Some people, they leave a church, they go to a church because they're looking for the perfect church. Usually what that means is the most entertaining. That's usually what it means. I'll just be honest. I want a church that has bigger, better music, better preaching, better this, better that. And here's the thing, if you think you found the perfect church, I've said this before, the minute you get there, you ruined it. (laughs) Like you messed the whole thing up. Because it's not about the church being perfect, it's about the head of the church who is perfect. And as we look at the spiritual growth of the church, there's a word that we may miss there, and it's that word living. Everybody say living. See, we can look at it and we can go, oh, it's about being a church. It's a living church, which means it's alive. Now, I started looking online. What are the signs of life? How do you know something's alive? If we're on Mars and exploring, how do we know that we found life on Mars? Well, there are seven signs. How do we know that we find life in the church? Here are seven signs of life, seven things that must have the potential to be there. Now, let me explain why I say the potential. One, some of these things, like for instance, if somebody's paralyzed, does that mean they're not alive? No, but is the potential for movement there? Yes. Reproduction. What, if the sign of life is the ability to reproduce, what do you say to a mom who's having a hard time getting pregnant or a woman who wants to be a mom and can't be? Is she somehow less alive? No, the potential is there. And so when we look at life, the, they must have the potential for these things. Here we go. Ready? Movement. Reproduction, sensitivity, respiration, nutrition, ooh, excretion, (laughs) it's a thing though, and growth. When we look at this list, this is how you know something is alive from a scientific perspective, from a biological perspective, but I want to argue, but this is how you also know something is alive spiritually and relationally. Now, here's the problem. Just because it's alive doesn't mean it's healthy. Cancer is, cancer meets all those things. And yet no one would say it's healthy. The goal is not just to exist. It's to be fully alive. John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly to its fullest. The goal is to be alive, not just existing. And so I want to look at this real quickly because As we see this, I want you to picture through the lens, what does it look like to be alive in Christ, alive in your marriage, alive in your health, alive, not just existing, but alive. I'm going to use this baby as an illustration, for example. You want to know one of the reasons why we love babies? It's the potential for life, isn't it? Every time that, and I, I love children in services. I want to make it clear. Like, I love the sound of babies. When babies cry, I don't, I'm not bothered by that. Because when a baby cries, it's life. And one of the reasons why we, we see so much potential in children is we see the possibility of what could come from this child. And the opportunities and the love and everything that's there. And, and so here, think about this. If we want to be alive in Christ, if we want to be alive, not just existing as a church community, the first one is we must 
move, which means following the Spirit. Romans 8, 8, 14 through 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. We've been doing this thing called Tov, which we're still going to talk about. And I want to thank all of you who are sharing your Tov moments. Tov is Hebrew for good. And we don't just want to be a church that does good. We want to bring God's goodness. And every time you share a Tov moment, I had somebody say, Jason, I don't really like sharing that because it feels like I'm bragging. It's called testifying. It's called being a witness to what you get to be a part of for the kingdom. And by the way, no one sees your name unless we decide to put it up there. But every time we do that, we're celebrating people who are trying to move in the direction of the Spirit. That's what it means to be alive. If, if you are alive in Jesus, it means that you are moving, you have, the, you have the potential to move in line with the Spirit. Some of us struggle with moving in line with the Spirit. But Jason, what if it's not the Spirit? What if it's just me? How many of you have ever had that moment where you think Jesus is calling you to do something, but then you're like, I don't know if that's Jesus, and then you talk yourself out of it? Anybody done that? I have, many times. And here's the thing. Usually what goes through our mind is fear, and fear is the opposite of living. It is. Fear stops us from living. That's why it says perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is the thing that usually gets in the way of us fully being alive, fully living. What if I look foolish? What if the person doesn't want it? What if I'm wrong? Here's the crazy thing though. The more you practice listening to God, the more you practice moving in obedience, the easier it gets. And often we struggle because it's not sure we're actually hearing the voice of God. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow, the, follow him because they know his voice. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how dumb sheep are. But you know the one thing that sheep do know? The voice of the shepherd. The more they listen to the shepherd, the more the sheep know the voice. And when the shepherd calls, they go. The more time you begin to listen to Jesus, the more familiar with his voice you become. And thus you begin to be able to move when the shepherd calls. Movement is one of the signs of life. Reproduction. Let's be real. In my opinion, this is probably one of the scariest for most people. Because in reproduction, it means are we making disciples? What does it even mean to make a disciple? I mean, in Matthew 28, Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But that's scary. Like, let's just be honest. It can be scary. What if, what if I'm not worth following? What if, I'm, what, if I, what if I screw up? What if I'm not a good representation of Jesus? I want to give you a newsflash. None of us are. And this is why I love Paul. Paul simplifies this in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, don't follow me. Follow me as I follow Jesus. We're all just playing follow the leader, and the leader should be Jesus. It takes all the pressure of making disciples about having programs and having all the right answers and simply being people who are moving in the way of the gospel and inviting people to join us in our imperfection. The people I trust most aren't those who have things figured out. It's the people who fall down, fail, and get back up and still follow Jesus. That's the beauty. Sensitivity. Do we have an awareness of where God is going? Are we sensitive to the things of God? This is what it means to be alive. Do you, do you have, I mean, our, think about, we think of our senses, right? Sight, smell, touch. 
Taste. I think there's other ones, right? <laughs> I don't remember what they all are. They're things. There's like nine of them, I think. I don't know. Do we have spiritual sensitivity? Can I hear God? Am I speaking? Am I looking at things the way God does? Do I see people the way God sees them? Do I see my wife the way God does? Do I see my husband the way God does? Do I see myself the way God wants me to? Do I see my children the way God does? Are you sensitive to the things of God? Respiration, breathing, all living things have to breathe in something. And for us as Christians, we breathe in the Holy Spirit. I want to do an exercise with you real quick. Everybody, when we pray, the goal of prayer is to be present, to breathe in the Lord. And so I want to do a quick exercise. You ready for this? On the count of three, everybody take in a deep breath. One, Two, three. Everybody breathe out. What if prayer is less about us giving our needs to God and saying, here, I want this and this and this from you, and it's more of taking a moment to breathe. Taking a moment to breathe in the Spirit and allow God to fill our lungs. That changes prayer for me. I don't know if it does for you because it's less about me coming with needs and here's my list and more about me being present. How many of you have ever had one of those weeks where sometimes you just need to take a breath? What are you breathing in? Nutrition. We all need things to eat. Spiritually, what are you feeding yourself? Are you feasting on God's word as Jennifer talked about several months ago? Or are you feasting on junk food, spiritual junk food? I, someone asked me one time, they said, I was like, man, I, sometimes I struggle with reading my Bible, but I have no problem watching six hours of a Netflix documentary. How many of you get sucked in in the Facebook reels, right? That's all spiritual junk food. When we have nutrition right in front of us, we miss it. How about thinking about that word, that gross? Everybody say, ooh, gross, ooh, gross, excretion. But you know what, as Christians, we're supposed to be getting rid of the bad things in our life. We're supposed to get rid of sin. Here's what breaks my heart. I meet Christians who are struggling in life, and they refuse to get rid of things that are bad for them, that are leading them away, that are destroying their relationships with others. Because, well, I should be able to be free and do whatever I want. And I'm like, yeah, you're free. Look at the cost. I know Christians who will, instead of spending time in the things that build up their relationship with their spouse, with their relationship with God, even with themselves, they'd rather do things that are ultimately going to harm them because sometimes it's painful to get rid of things that are bad, isn't it? And yet this is what God has called us to. And then lastly, sign of life is grow and develop. Are we maturing in our faith as a Christian? You should be maturing and growing in your faith. You're either alive, you're either moving towards life or you're moving to your death. There's no in-between. What God cares about is healthiness, not perfection. Healthy people aren't perfect. They're moving towards health. And if you're not moving towards health, you're moving towards unhealth. And unhealth ultimately leads to death. You want to know why I think there are so many churches that are struggling and dying? Because somewhere along the way, they lost the vision for health in Christ. I'm going to end with a story and then I want to give a challenge to you guys. I uh, remember going to the gym the first time, and I looked at this trainer, and this was years ago, and this trainer was all buff, and I looked at him, and I said, hey, I want to look like you, and so he gave me the workout plan, and I did the workout plan, and he gave me the diet, and I ate all the food, and, and by the time I was done, guess what? I didn't look anything like him. He was taller and tanner. 
I was fit, but I didn't look like him. I looked like me. What if the goal, what if the goal of whether you go to the personal trainer or spiritual formation is not so you look like other people, but that you look more like you? The you that God intended you to be, the image bearer that God intended you to be. Because when you do that, you're actually reflecting. You look more like Jesus when you look more like you. What if that's the goal of health? What if instead of trying to be somebody you're not or something you're not, you're getting in touch with who God has created you to be, which starts by being alive, by looking at those seven things. I want to invite you to stand with me, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put that, this list of seven things. And I'm going to make this as practical and as tangible as I can. I want you to look through those, okay? Sometimes the hardest step to health, the hardest step to growth is the first step. Sometimes we look at the whole picture and go, I can't look like that. Well, yeah, because you're looking at the wrong lens. What if the goal of sanctification is the first step is choosing one thing? I want you to look at this list right now. Take a moment. Is there one thing on this list of seven things that you're going, you know what? That's an area that I'm not healthy right now. I'm going to focus on one thing this week. Maybe it's movement. Maybe it's saying, you know what? I don't really let God lead me. This week, Holy Spirit, I want you to lead me. Look at this list of first four things, okay? Take a moment. Let's do the next three. I'm going to ask you to do something bold this morning. How many of you, if you had one of those things, I don't want all of them, if you could have just one thing, how many of you had one thing that stood out to you that went, that's an area I need to grow up? So would you raise your hand? Okay, keep your hand up. I want you to think about that one thing. And if you don't have it, don't put your hand up because you think I'm looking. I'm not, this is between you and the Lord. That one thing, I want you to picture that one area that you are not growing in Christ, that one area where you are not alive. Picture that. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. And here's what you're gonna pray. Repeat after me. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me to live the way you want. Now, I want you in that moment, I want you to say it out loud. You don't have to say what the sin is, but say what that one area is. Just say it out loud to Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, direct me. Fill me. Free me. In Jesus' name. Amen. This week, pay attention to that one step. That one first step. Choose. You have... Choose life that you might live. That's straight from the Bible. You get to choose to be alive in Christ, and that is ultimately by choosing God first. It's putting spiritual health first. And when you make that choice, not only do you become healthy, your family becomes healthy. Your marriage becomes healthy. Our church becomes healthy. This is what God is calling us to. This is what it looks like for us to be the kind of church that is awakened to being alive in Christ, not just a church existing for Jesus. Amen? We're going to take our tithe and offering. We're going to come and worship the Lord. Guys, thank you. Thank you for being a safe church. Thank you for being a place that doesn't look towards perfection because the only perfect thing is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? Let's come and worship the Lord. We'll now receive our tithes and offerings.